Wow, well, I'd like to extend my thanks to the violins, both first and second, violas, the bass, but particularly, since I spent six years in this territory, particularly the cellos this morning for uh, excellent work. Uh, wonderful music, all of you. Uh, great gift. The cover of your bulletin serves as an invitation to something coming uh, this week. Uh, we are about ready to enter Holy Week, and you'll notice if you picked up a copy of uh, today's bulletin, uh, a description of water, wood, stone, and air, four worship experiences that we will be partnering with students of Walla Walla University to enjoy. Um, you can find the times and locations for those four experiences, but we're really looking forward to celebrating uh, the heart of the Christian story, which is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, we'd be happy to have you join us for that. Subject of today's sermon is imagination. Imagination. I'm teaching... Uh, a course in the ministry of Jesus this quarter, and at the beginning of each class period, I give a quiz. And during one of those quizzes, it struck me that I was looking into the faces of imagination. And so I began to snap pictures while the quiz was going on, which I am now sharing with you. I did threaten the students with this. Amazing creativity, uh, imagination coming up with the most elaborate and, at times, fanciful answers to the professor's questions. Um, wonderful imagination. But I have to tell you, uh, students of Walla Walla University, when I look into your faces and I listen to your stories and what's on your hearts and on your mind, I am greatly encouraged about the future of this world that we share for your imagination and your creativity and your vision for what can be is a gift. And it's a gift I hope that you will hold on to. Today, we are talking about the importance of this thing called imagination. There's a line uttered by the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. Imagination is the only weapon in the war against reality. Imagination. Now we know what reality is all about. We wake up in the morning and we face it. The pain and the difficulty, disappointment. When things don't go as we wish they had gone. When we have to say goodbye. We know all about reality, but could it be that this gift of imagination is just what reality needs right in its face? God believes so. We find there in the book of Acts that uh, the Christian church should experience an outpouring of the Spirit, a Spirit that would be poured out on young and old, men and women, each of us gifted with dreams, visions, holy imagination. For the health and the vitality of the church, this, God's prompting that we would be visionaries, that we would be dreamers, that we would be those filled with rich imagination. What is it that breeds 
this vital imagination. There's a saying that I have heard since I can remember, and perhaps many of you are familiar with it as well. Uh, do you know this? Necessity is the mother of invention. Have you heard that phrase? I don't like it at all, actually. I mean, it takes necessity to breed ingenuity. We have to get to the point where there is no other options. We have to be filled with fear. Our backs have to be against the wall. We're going to have to die off and let the next generation do it. Some horrible things can happen, and then we will get creative. It is at that moment that we'll be filled with vision. No, I don't think necessity is the mother of invention is a particularly good idea. No, this is better Love. Love is the mother of invention. Love gives birth to imagination. Lovers become dreamers. Don't believe me? Oh, parents, we can share the same stories, can't we? You explain to your children the series of chores that must be done. Impossible, they say. Dad, that is not something that can be accomplished too much. Well, what if we get ice cream when you're done your chores? Love for ice cream all of a sudden breeds the most amazing imagination and creativity. What was thought impossible is now fully within the grasp. And things are accomplished at a rate that is shocking, staggering, all because of what? The love of something down the road. Yes, love motivates. It loves, uh, a love of country motivates uh, one to give life for the country. Love of a subject in school. A student can try to grind through a particular discipline. Why can I never study? And then the change of a major to something that's loved and suddenly the time passes by. The textbooks feel like fiction. Oh, and it's true in romance as well. We had a few moments today, an open mic to share some of our stories. The foolishness, the incredible generosity. We will do things and spend amounts of money. We will bend over backwards when we are in love. Love is the impulse that motivates the richest sort of imagination. Dreaming is what happens when we fall in love. But for the most important task, we must make sure that we are falling in love with the right kind of thing. We're at the end of two series this year, Ask Anything, followed by I Love My Church. This second series prompted by a student's question. And then this response, this phrase we've been working with. My dream. My dream is that the Adventist church is an environmentally green, economically just, socially rich, peace-loving, body-healing, ecclesiastically open, theologically curious, creed-denying, torture-protesting, liberty-loving, diversity-cultivating, critical-thinking, woman-respecting, hope-drenched community with a massive crush on Jesus Christ. But today we deal with that last, final little phrase, a massive crush on Jesus Christ. There it is, 
the greatest of all loves. You see, the realities of our life, the challenges that we face as a church, will not be met with a love for tradition, an affection for history, an appreciation for doctrine, a love of philosophy or uh, an allegiance to structure. No. No, it will require the right sort of love that will confront the reality of our life in the church and in our world. It will require the greatest of all loves from our hearts, a love of Jesus, a massive crush on Jesus Christ. As the tune goes, in Christ alone our hope is found. The Adventist book, The Desire of Ages, is not about a denomination. It is not about a church structure. It is not a, about a theological framework. No, the desire of the ages is about Jesus. Jesus. We will be stuck in the mud with nowhere to go if we do not have a greater love. We will fail to make the changes we need to make if we have a lesser love. Only a love of Jesus will motivate us to accomplish the work of pushing back on the realities of this world. But loving Jesus is not easy. I say again, loving Jesus is not simple. The puzzle of this work presented so clearly in John chapter 20, our text for today. We read now Mary. Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And there it is. Mary, so full of love. And Jesus says to her, Do not hold on to me, for I have to ascend to the Father. That's why loving Jesus is good language that we celebrate in church, but often so difficult. Jesus says, don't hold on to me. I'm not here in the flesh. So how is it, Jesus, that we are to have a massive crush on you? How is it that we are to be motivated with a rich, affectionate, loving relationship with you that spurs the sort of imagination that changes our world? How do we do this when you say, do not hold on to me? Well, what did Mary do? What did her brothers and sisters do? What is it that those early Christians participated in that fueled the flames of their life for Jesus? One word, storytelling. Storytelling. Oh, let me show you a few examples. 
searching for a 12th apostle to replace Judas. In Acts we read, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who had been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. The principal requirement of a disciple to be an eyewitness, from John the Baptist to the resurrection, to be a storyteller of Jesus. John tells us as much. Uh, chapter 21, uh, this is the disciple who testifies to these things, who's telling you the stories and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the book's that would be written. John consumed as a teller of the stories of Jesus. Paul, the power of his life and ministry, all about his storytelling. Three times in Acts, we find him with this story. Acts 26, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus, he says, and he tells the story of being with Jesus. Luke chapter 1, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, the story of Jesus, just as they were handed down to us by those who were the first eyewitnesses, the first storytellers and servants of the word. With this in mind, and on Luke goes to tell the story. And then finally, at the end of his life, Peter, doing important faithful work, says, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were witnesses of his majesty." What is going on for the first 20 to 30 years of the early Christian movement? You see, they didn't together and have a meeting trying to figure out what was going to be the topic of their next sermon series. They didn't have meetings trying to sort out what their strategy should be or what their new theological focus ought to contain. They weren't worrying a lot about what the, the next missional project should be for the church or where the money should be invested for some new venture. They didn't have these conversations. For the first two to three decades of the church, they got together and it appears they did one thing. They simply told the stories of Jesus to one another. Wouldn't you... Oh, I imagine that they gathered around campfires and they said to Martha, tell us that one about when you were weeping and tell us about the tears that were pouring out of Jesus' eyes as well. Lazarus, remind us what was it like to be raised from the dead. Nicodemus, will you share again that late night conversation? Hey, James the Lesser, tell us again about your perspective on the turning of water to wine. Woman on the well, tell us again about the great surprise. Zacchaeus, what was it like to be invited to provide a meal for Jesus? 
Hey, remind us, woman, when you poured that perfume on his head and saw his reaction, what did that do in your life? Hey, you, guy over there, still dancing around. Uh, Your legs were fixed years ago, but yet you're still dancing. Remind us, what was it like to dance for the first time? Malchus, can we touch your ear? Thomas, remind us what it felt like to touch his scars. Uh, You're an old guy now, but do you remember when you were a little boy and Jesus took your lunch and fed thousands? Tell us that story as if you were a little boy again. And a whole group of people would tell about when they were kids and what it was like to sit on Jesus' lap. Others about Jesus calming the storm. Others about Jesus walking on water. They would retell the Sermon on the Mount. They would recount the stories of hearing the tables being turned over in the temple. What happened when a fish coughed up a coin. They would tell the parables again and again. Daddy, tell me another story. Mommy, tell me yet one more story. Just one more story, please. And they would speak to one another about their accounts of the cross. And maybe most of all, the stories of Jesus' resurrection. No, the first 20 to 30 years of the Christian movement, they were awash in the stories of Jesus. Perhaps one of their favorites would have been asking the Apostle Peter for that exchange after his resurrection. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I imagine the early church said, tell us the story of the sevenfold I love you. When Jesus was begging you, and Jesus is begging all of us, to let him know just how much we love him. Oh, you know the story. Those first Christians faced a reality that was not good. Life was hard and dangerous. Twists and turns and unfortunate expectations. It was a hard reality. What did they do? They washed themselves in the stories of Jesus. James K.A. Smith, professor of philosophy at Calvin College, writes, Discipleship needs to be centered in and fueled by our immersion in the physical body of Christ, his story. Worship is, he says, the imagination station that incubates our loves and longings so that our cultural endeavors are indexed towards God and His kingdom. If you are passionate about seeking justice, renewing culture, and taking up your vocation to unfurl all of creation's potential, you need to invest in the formation of your imagination. You need to curate your heart. You need to worship well because you are what you love. 
the formation of our imaginations. Worship as storytelling. Tell us again the tales of Jesus. So how might this work in our present reality? I told some of you years ago that I worked at a nursing care facility when I was in high school. And many days would be in a variety of the residents' rooms interacting with people who were living in a place that they didn't want to live in. Not the reality, not the circumstances of their dreams. And many of these rooms would be discouraging and sad, as you might imagine. But there was one room. One day, I walked into a, a resident's room, and there she sat. Sit down, Sonny, she said to me. I want to tell you something. I dutifully took my place, and she began to regale me with stories about horses by name. All of the horses she owns. She told me about jockeys and trainers, barns and fields, races, the glories of her life as a horse woman. All in the present tense, on she described this wonderful reality. I was blown away. On my break, I went and asked my supervisor, Did you know about this woman and her life with horses? He gave me a quizzical look and said, Alex, I think you need to go back in that room and pay more attention. So after lunch, I walked back into her room. Sit down, Sonny, I have some stories to tell you, she said. I sat down and she began to tell me similar tales, but this time I looked and noticed the bookshelves up against the wall. Not one, not a dozen, but scores of books. Stories about horses. You see, she had immersed herself in a whole library of stories. And so instead of living in her present reality, she now, through the power of these other stories, found herself living in a completely different world. But you see, this little story falls short, doesn't it? It does not fully accomplish describing what is powerful about reading these stories. For the stories of Jesus are not meant as a distraction or a diversion from the reality that we find ourselves in, but rather in reading them to one another at breakfast and at lunch and at night and in church services like this, in reading and telling these stories to one another, we find our love of Jesus bursting forth, motivating an imagination, a vision of what can be, confronting the reality, the cold realization of what this world is in an attempt to change it for the good of the gospel in the way of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit says to every single one of us, Oh, that you might be dreamers of dreams. Oh, that you might be visionaries with visions. Oh, might you be people filled up with a holy imagination, which is the weapon that defeats all realities.
May we be such people. After the postlude, Paul Richardson, one of our elders, will be available here on the right side of the platform to pray with anyone who would like that ministry. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.